Now, a fear of religious persecution is one reason asylum seekers give for fleeing their countries. In Britain, some people are allegedly making false conversions to Christianity so they can stay. This controversy has flared after an Afghan man attacked two people in South London with a chemical. The man, a convicted criminal whom police believe is now dead, claimed he had converted to Christianity. Hattie Williams is a senior editor at the Church Times. She's been following the story. It all started really um, from the alkali attack in Clapham, which is in southwest London. The attacker was thought to have converted to Christianity before his asylum, asylum claim was approved. Now, this obviously caused some backlash um, in terms of why he used this conversion to get his asylum claim approved when he turns out to be obviously a criminal. A lot of the backlash fell on the Church of England, who has since been sort of defending its position in terms of baptising asylum seekers in this country. A lot of the backlash has fallen on the Church of England, but obviously in terms of the asylum situation in the UK, obviously other churches are involved as well. So many of the asylum seekers, for example, on the um, Bibby Stockholm barge, which is shored up in Dorset, about 40 of those are said to have converted to Christianity through a local Baptist church. Hmm. The term conveyor belt conversions implies that this is being done en masse, and there doesn't seem to be evidence of that. But is there legitimate concern being raised that there may be inauthentic conversions? What the bishops who've been talking about this recently are saying that you can never be 100% sure of anyone really and any truth that's being told. And I think that the concern is that a very small number of cases where Christianity has been used to seek asylum in the UK as a reason to stay are being blown out of proportion. And actually what the bishops are saying is that this is distracting from what is a systematic a systemic problem with the asylum system in this country. And that's the responsibility of the government to fix. It's the responsibility of the judiciary to decide whether a claim for asylum related to Christianity is genuine. Mm. And that's, as far as the bishops are saying, is, is you know, all, although they can um, advise, um, that's not their responsibility to make that decision. Hattie, why is a conversion, a religious conversion, considered, though, a, a ground for making an asylum claim? It's a very good question. I think that in terms of being part of the community in this country, um, maybe being part of the church and going to worship regularly, being part of a community, it's being involved in the life of this country. And that is not the only way and it's not necessarily a sole reason for staying, but um, it is certainly something that is considered. As I say, I think the being part of the British life and the British community is is a factor in in these asylum claims. This did splash back onto the front pages just in the past few days, allegations by a former Anglican priest, Matthew Firth. What did he claim? Matthew Firth left the Church of England in 2020, but he was saying that when he was a priest in Durham, he described it as not wanting to be part of what he said was a conveyor belt of asylum conversions or, or baptising asylum seekers. He said there was an extraordinary number of baptisms of asylum seekers in his church, and he decided to put a stop to this. 
obviously that was taken up by certain uh, newspapers with rather spectacular headlines. But in a responding letter, the Bishop of Durham, uh, which is the diocese of which Mr Firth was a part, writes that the report contained an imaginative range of allegations, he he suggests, um, and that he says there was no evidence to support these claims. And in fact, a check of the parish record showed that, in fact, I think about 15 people, 13 adults and two children who may have been asylum seekers were baptised over the past 10 years, and seven of those were baptised by Mr Firth himself. His point is that, you know, as priest in charge, Mr Firth should have been aware of his responsibility to check the authenticity of those candidates. Um, and if anything of a miss, he should have reported it himself. Um, it, so I think perhaps that was a little bit sensationalised. It wasn't just Matthew Firth, though. Your piece in Church Times does actually yeah. raise the name of the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Lord Carey, George Carey. Is he making a claim that there are false conversions? Again, maybe not these sort of mass conveyor belt conversions, but is he suggesting that this is the case? I think what he's saying is that although he agrees with the current archbishop and, and other bishops that it's not the responsibility of the church to uh, apply the asylum rules, that's the Home Office and the judiciary, he's saying that perhaps the church has been, for want of a better word, perhaps a little naive and it's recently obviously been accused of, of some gullibility in accepting insincere conversions. But I think what his point really is, is that the church should maybe look a little bit more closely at its guidance on the authenticity of those claims, and perhaps that should be more robust. But I think in general, he feels that there's needs to be a stronger solution to the immigration crisis and perhaps the church needs to be more supportive of the government's position on that. Your piece, and we'll put a link to it at our website, does raise this very sort of challenging question. How does anyone look into the heart of someone who's claiming that he or she is converted to Christianity or to any other religion, uh, for that matter, and determine if they're sincere? Mm. I mean, it's a good question. I think it's something that any priest would consider and acknowledge that it's very hard to do. And it's not something that you can ever really be 100% sure on. You can use your experience, you can talk to people and do the very best you can. But as in any realm of life, you know, it's very difficult to be 100%. You can follow the guidance. And I think bishops are saying that, you know, that guidance is reasonably robust. And the process of preparing someone for baptism is a complicated process. It's something that people don't take lightly um, and it takes time. And I think the only thing you can do is go through that and make a judgment at the end. I noticed that uh, the Liberal Democrat MP Tim Farron has suggested this is in the same category as some you know, upper middle class parents who are very anxious to get their children into Church of England schools, which are incorporated into the public system, but they do require certain entry requirements, suggesting people might not be entirely sincere about their family's religious beliefs. Does that happen actually? I mean, are there cases of people sort of feigning a religious commitment to get their child into a, a Church of England school? Um, I, I think in any any situation, there are, I'm sure there are always people who use the system in a certain way to get the outcome that they want. But I suppose he's saying that that does happen. And I suppose it's, it's personal experience. But I, I'm sure that it does happen that families do attend church for a certain amount of time to improve their chances of getting their child into a certain school. There are other criteria which are in play. It's not just 
faith, it's the area that you live in, whether you're near to the school and other factors as well. For example, the vulnerability of your family and the child in question. That can be a factor in in terms of getting children in school. Hattie Williams, she's a senior editor at the Church Times uh, based in the UK. Hattie, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much for having me. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.